You guys want to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter's been on the subject of suffering, and today he'll, uh, he's going to be talking about submission and really the resistance um, to the enemy as well. And so I know I, I planned like maybe two or three weeks ago uh, of just doing the first two verses here, five through seven, but as I got studying through it, I was like, you know what, let's just finish it. Let's finish First Peter. And uh, so I kind of bundled two together. So you guys get to stay here till probably nine o'clock, nine, nine fifteen. So you're not allowed to leave early either. So sorry. Let's just read First Peter chapter five. Look at verse five. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. By Silvanius, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon and left together with you greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, remember, by the way, this suffering uh, that Peter's talking about is due to the fact uh, of your faith in Christ Jesus alone, right? It's not this, speaking of the suffering that you, based off of your sins, right, the consequences of your sin or anything like that. Um, it's, it's based off of the suffering for your faith in Christ Jesus. And, and this whole, uh, going back to first, or, or, or chapter five in the beginning here, uh, this whole issue of submission has really been the theme of first Peter. Uh, go back with me to chapter two and look at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13, notice it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors uh, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So, and look at chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. And then jump down to chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Wives, likewise, uh, be submissive to your husbands. Uh, look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Uh, look at the end of there. It says, Being submissive to their own husbands. And then if you look at verse 7, it says, Husbands, likewise. So the inference there it involves submission as well, right? So just as the wife submits 
so too in the same sense, uh, the husband submits as well to her needs and to her wants in that sense. Um, but back to First Peter chapter 5, Peter deals with two more groups of people uh, we are to submit to. And first of all, Peter is dealing with the younger people. Very interesting right here in verse 5. Notice it says, uh, well, first of all, he begins this with this word likewise. So referring to the previous section, uh, speaking of the uh, the pastors, right, the church elders or the church leadership, if you will. And, and they, of course, are to be in submission to Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd uh, spoken of in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And, and so look at verse 5 again. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves. Now, who is these younger people? Right? Don't all raise your hands. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, Peter can be referring to those, you know, who are uh, chronologically, uh, you know, younger. Um, and I don't think that's the case, but and I don't even know what the number would be if that is the case. Is it like 70 years old, right, for younger? Is that, is that you guys? Yeah. That's, <laughs> well, I don't know what it would be, but Peter could be speaking of those who are younger in uh, their faith spiritually, right, in, in, in the church. So notice it says in verse 5, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your your elders. So elders simply means older spiritually, right? So here in the context, so if that's the case, uh, those younger may mean younger in the Lord, right? The more you look at that. So, or, or not in a place of leadership in the church necessary, the church leadership. So, uh, so the younger in that sense are to be submissive to those who are more mature, spiritually, those who are in church leadership in that sense. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, to your left. Hebrews 13, this whole context of First Peter is dealing with church government. So those younger are to listen to those who are more mature in the Lord, who know the Lord, who, who have been through things in their life, right? And the mature believers are to, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And that's exactly what the mature believers are to do. That's what our church here is doing in the ministries that we have. The purpose of every ministry is to what? To equip you for the work God has called you to, right? To the the the, the ministry that the Lord's called you to. Uh, but look at Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 17. It says, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give accounts, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So, back to First Peter. Um, I love how the word just kind of it's enough to just, uh, it, it's the best commentary there is, right? Is is just use the word of God to back itself up. It's great. So, um, Peter, secondly, could be, he's dealing with all people as well. Go back to verse 5. Notice it says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So all of us are commanded to be submissive really in two ways, uh, in two things about this command uh, that I see here. It's Number one, it involves others, right? So notice to one another. 
Um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Um, what does it mean to submit to someone who's over me in leadership in that sense, right? I think it's considering others above your own, uh, right? In, in your own ways and your own thinking. Christ, Christ is our example, right? To submitting, he submitted his will to the fathers, uh, and, and speaking of the cross. And if you go to Philippians chapter two, look at verse one. It says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself." Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So one way of submitting to everyone is looking out for their own interest above your own interest, right? So it's putting others first is the whole idea here. And so secondly, uh, this this uh, area of submission also involves hu- humility, right? Humility. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to have you guys flipping around today, by the way. I hope your fingers are working. Um, look at verse 5. Uh, it says, But God resists the proud, right? Oh, I'm sorry, back up a little more. And be clothed with humility, right? So uh, humility carries that idea of lowliness of mind. So not having a high opinion of yourself, not placing yourself above others, and, and not, you know, thinking of yourself highly than you ought to be thinking, right? And, and so that word clothed, by the way, is to wrap yourself around in, to fully embrace, right? So when we fully wrap this idea, uh, around our thought process that somehow we're not God's, you know, number one gift to mankind, right? That's, believe it or not, there's a lot of people walk around like that, and they're like, it's me. It's all about me. And and they could just talk about themselves all day, and they don't get exhausted about it. You're like, seriously, man, breathe. You know, like, wow. Uh, but so uh, when you're not, you know, placing your will and your thoughts and in yourself above others, then it's going to be easier for you now to submit to, uh, really to be able to submit in general, really. And I want to give you guys four reasons why we should be clothed in humility. Four reasons, reasons why we should be clothed in humility. Number one, notice it says right here, God resists the proud. He resists the proud. And notice how flat my forehead is. <laughs> it's because of God's resistance, right? I keep banging into the wall, right? Boosh, boosh, right? He resists those who are, are, are prideful. And pride keeps you thinking, you know, it's all about self-sufficiency, right? And, and honestly, self-absorption, right? It's not healthy at all. In fact, self-absorption leads to self-destruction. It's a, it's a time bomb and it's just going to, it's ticking. Every time you're looking at the magazines and it's all about you and you're just filled up and you're typing and you're posting and you're, it's me, right? It's, it's, it's going to, it's going to lead to destruction because that's where pride guarantees you where to go, right? And it's going to lead you down a path you didn't want to be in. Pride, by the way, 
I believe, I should say, um, was the first sin committed. You guys remember in Ezekiel chapter uh, 28, verse 13? Lucifer, he's in the garden. He's the cherub, right? The garden of Eden. And uh, Isaiah chapter 14, he got kicked out of heaven with, uh, with the angels there. And because of his pride, he tried exalting himself above the Lord, right? I will sit on the throne. I will, ay, 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 ay's, right? I call it the ay, ay, ay's of Isaiah 14. Uh, but all sin can be traced back to pride. Pride is like the hub of where all sin really, it's the heart of sin in a sense. And pride makes us really look good, and it, but it makes others look bad. And that's kind of what pride is in your life. Pride is sin, right? Amen, guys? You guys with me? And let's come to the second thing here. Because of grace, notice in verse 5 of First Peter, it says, God gives grace to the humble. So we see uh, a way to get God's grace is through humility. And humility is, is really uh, the opposite of it's the opposite of pride. And, and by the way, this God resists the, the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This word grace, charis, mentioned 156 times in the New Testament. What does it mean? Unmerited favor, right? Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. But getting, getting what we don't deserve, unmerited favor. And this whole idea of grace, it's very important in two areas in our life. Number one, we need God's grace for eternal life, right? We all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Romans chapter 3, verses 24. Um, we, we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't, you know, produce any good works in and of our own uh, that we can get to heaven. And, and we can only get grace when we humble ourselves and really we ask God to come into our life and change our life, right? To change our heart and, and we repent of our sins. And what happens? Because you humbled yourself, he enabled his grace within your life and thus he He empowered you, he strengthened you, he gave you everything that you need to sustain you for life and godliness, right? And it's all within the word of God. That's how the, that's the heart of the the believer, right? That's how we live and that's how we breathe is through the word of God. Well, secondly, uh, we not only need God's grace for eternal life, but we also need God's grace for this temporal life, right? So for the everyday, the day-to-day type things that we do throughout life, we need his grace to sustain us in this life, right? And that pleases him. And because he gives you the grace, now he is able to be pleased. And and some start in the spirit by his grace, and then somehow, you know, they think that all of a sudden it's up to them. And and they now they have to produce some type of works for God and and or they do something good and then they then they think oh yeah god will show his grace because well look at all that money i just gave well look i just helped that old lady out over there or i just helped this cat you know off the tree or you guys get where i'm going right there's people think that they can earn god's grace all of a sudden once they entered in and then all of a sudden they change and they they label themselves a certain way and, and you guys probably know what i'm talking about um but Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we see in the Bible that God's grace, it will build you up. If you've been torn apart, has the world damaged your life? Has the world done, you know, its work in your life? If you had relationships that just fell apart, well, guess what? God's grace is able to build you up. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, says really, the only way we can obey God 
is through God's grace, right? He enables his grace within you, and now you can actually obey what he's commanded you to do. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, there's 613 commandments, right? Sumbles all up in two commands, and who can do that, right? You can't. Nobody can. But God can, and he can, he can enable you, his grace, to do such a thing. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, we see his grace enables us to stand. Have you guys ever said that before? I just can't stand it anymore. <laughs> well, you need God's grace, right? Because God's grace will enable you to stand. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2, 1, his grace makes you strong. And in 2 Corinthians 4.15, his grace causes you and I to be thankful. We can't thank the Lord apart from God's grace, especially when we're going through a whole bunch of things in our lives, right? Um, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, uh, we see that his grace teaches us to live godly. Do you want to live godly? Well, ask for God's grace. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to be like, I'm going to read God's word nine hours a day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this much good works. That's producing your own flesh, right? Works before God and saying, is this good enough? It's not good enough. You know what is good enough? God's grace is good enough, right? And so for the one that just says, Lord, give me, grant me your grace, right? And, and you're, you're, you're broken, you're humble, right? He gives you his grace. And you don't need to go and do all that stuff, right, to please God. God is pleased in himself through your life, right? It's Christ um, in me, the hope of glory, right? So uh, the third reason we should be clothed in humility is because of exaltation. Notice in verse 6, right here in First Peter, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves, right, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, this word exalt means to elevate. It means to lift up. And there's three things about exaltation uh, in verse 6 right here. Number one, we are to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. Notice that. So if you don't humble yourself, God will, right? You guys with me on that? Do you understand what I'm talking about? God is pretty good at humbling us, right? So if you really want God to do it, he'll definitely do it. What you can do in one minute if you want God to do it, I've seen it in the Bible where God has humbled a man for three years in the desert like an animal, right? He may take 10 years on your life, 40 years, 80 years on your life and humbling you. And, and that just shows, goes to show how prideful we are, right? Um, but you can literally humble yourself in a heartbeat and you can avoid uh, all that stuff, right? But, but God is really good in what he does. And when he does it, he does a perfect job. Amen? <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Um, this is very, very, very good. Look, Luke chapter 18. Look at verse... Go to verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It says... Also, he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. It says in verse 10, two men went up 
to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. He's probably pointing at people, right? Or even as this tax collector, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow, that's powerful right there. Um, So secondly, we are to... Hum, we were to be humbled before God. Notice in verse 6, go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So we need to realize that God is God and we're not, right? We need to trust him no matter what. His ways are very strange ways to our thinking. He does things that are outside of our time zone. He does things that are, are but they're perfect, right? In his will, in his time, it's perfect, but we just don't see it. We're like, no, Lord, there's only one option, and it's this thing right here. This is is what you got to do. And God's like, no, it's not what I want to do, right? He doesn't have one option. And so uh, nonetheless, his will will be done nonetheless, right? So we need to trust in the Lord. Third, we're, we're to wait for our exaltation. We're to wait for our exaltation. We want to be exalted today, right? Not in due time. We want it now. We want fast food. We want pizza right now, right? That's that's kind of our, our mindset. But it's his timing. And some of us, you know, we're waiting for a job. Some of us are, you know, in, uh, uh, waiting for maybe a position at church or something like that. He'll do it, right? Not man. You wait on the Lord to do and perform what is good because he's faithful and he's just to complete what he's begun in you and I, right? And so he'll do it. James chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, um, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It doesn't say man will lift you up or woman, right? It says he will lift you up. Now, let's come to the fourth reason that we should be clothed in uh humility, and that is anxiety. Notice in verse 7, it says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, in verse 7 is linked, by the way, to the command in verse 6, dealing with humility. So when we do cast our cares upon the Lord, we are to you know, humble ourselves. Everybody, you know, they, everybody cast their, their cares. But the question is, are you casting your cares to the Lord? Right? Some people would rather cast their care to their husband or to their wife or to a best friend or to their mommy and their daddy. Right? But cast your cares to the Lord. And that's the idea. Um, and if, by the way, if you're not casting your cares to the Lord, it's a prideful thing. No, I got this, Lord. That's basically what you're saying. If you're not bringing your cares before the Lord. Now, this word care, by the way, means to 
divide or separate, which is interesting. In, in our hearts and our minds, when we're going through a difficult situation, physical, emotional, whatever it may be, um, our hearts and our minds are divided to see if really, if, if God is really in control of this circumstance that I'm going through right now. And you begin to get pulled and tossed and turned, right? Well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that cool? You want your, your hearts to be guarded with that, that pool and that, right? All that stuff of the world and the circumstances that you're going through and the struggles that you're going through. You want everything to be guarded by His peace. He's gonna, in, in, in turn, you give your cares to the Lord. He's in turn gonna give you His peace. Isn't that cool? Either or, He'll carry you as as his child, right? You can be with the big backpack, right? And you're like, oh, this is so heavy. But he's picking you up. And he's like, hey, let me carry your backpack for you. And you're like, no, 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 I got this. I'll carry it, right? I got it. Either or, he's still carrying you if you're on his shoulders, right? It's kind of the, the, I, the, the picture I get in my head. Sometimes we're just so silly. God's carrying us nonetheless. Just give him your cares. Give him your burden, right? His burden is light. And, and, and it's just amazing. Um, so, but genuine concern, by the way, it's good to have genuine concern because it's, it, it moves you closer to the Lord. In fact, go to Matthew, Matthew, go to the book of Matthew, go to Matthew chapter, let's go to chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Worry really draws us away from the Lord. And that's why God says, you know, not to worry. Why? Because he's our provider. He's a Jehovah Jireh, right? He will provide. He'll watch over his own. And in Matthew chapter 6, let's see here. Go to verse 25. It says, Therefore, I say, Jesus says, to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Right? Its own things. Sufficient is the day for its own uh, trouble, it says. 
So, and by the way, Psalm 55, verse 22, it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. Right? He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. That's a good uh, memory verse for you there as well. Um, now let's come to, go back to First Peter with me. First Peter, look at verse 8. eight verse 8 through 11, by the way, the context is dealing with the, the spiritual suffering, if you will, or you could say uh, spiritual warfare, right? Um, look at verse 8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roar, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. By the way, that word Satan, right, is our adversary, against you and me. And his goal is to destroy you and me. And he's a pictured, he's pictured here of, of a roaring lion. And by the way, if you've been to a zoo and a, and a lion's like, rawr, right? It's pretty scary. It, have you guys heard that before? Just the bass, you know, on your chest. You're like, whoa, <laughs> right? And that's, that, that's kind of interesting. But there's a battle going on for you and I that I can't even fathom. It's, it's just amazing. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the devil is our adversary. He is not your friend, okay? And and he's a roaring lion. He's not a playful little pet. Hey, little guy! <laughs> right? He's like, He clothes himself in white, so he's probably a white one, right? He's not your pet. And, and he wants to devour you and I, and so thus, we need to be on guard. We need to be watchful. We need to set our, our eyes on guard, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, uh, it says that he's the prince of the power of this air. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he is the God of this age, right? Second Corinthians four four. And and by the way, back in Second Kings chapter six, you guys remember um, Elijah, right? He's there with his servant. Elijah's sleeping. His servant sees the the Syrian army coming down. He's like, ah, oh, he's terrified, and he's shaking, and he runs up to uh, Elijah, and he's like, Elijah, look, the Syrian army's upon us, and 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 Elijah's like, dude, calm down, right? Just hey, there's there's more with us than there is with them, and and uh, he's he looks at Elijah like. What? You're crazy. <laughs> but Elijah prays and, 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 the, and the servant now he looks out and, and guess what? He sees all the heavenly host, right? He sees that there is more than the Syrian army and they can devour them in a heartbeat. And, and that took care of that matter right then and there. But let's look at the commands regarding spiritual, uh, warfare. The commands regarding spiritual warfare. Uh, since Satan is like this, right? Um, what do we do, right? There, there's a lot of things about Satan, and he's attacking us, he's coming at us spiritually. What, what do we do? There's three commands that are given to us right here in verses 8 and 9. Number one, it involves being sober. Being sober. We are to be sober. This word sober uh, speaks of a clarity of mind, right? You and I are to have a clear mind, not a um, right? I'm clearing my mind. You're opening yourself up to the demonic realm in that case, right? You're, you're not to put yourself in certain positions and certain things to, to open yourself up, but you're to have a clear mind. We're to 
continually keep our minds stayed on the word of God. Keep your mind active, right? And alert. We're not lacking in judgment when we walk, right? So like those who are drunk or those who are on drugs, their minds are just like mush, right? You're just... like you're talking to them, they're like, what? Right? You're like, wow, man. Uh, but Satan knows our weak points. And guess what he does? He jumps on those weak points, right, in your life. And when we're not casting our cares upon the Lord, we are in pride, right? We're being prideful. And don't get caught up in your circumstances, whether they be emotional, whether they be um, mental, whatever they may be. Don't let the circumstances around you cloud your mind. Be alert. Be sober, right? And, and don't get caught up in all of that because we have an enemy. Secondly, it involves, notice in verse 8 right here, be vigilant, right? So vigilance. And this word vigilance mentioned 23 times in the New Testament. In fact, um, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter, go to chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, look at verse, look at verse 5. It says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the light, um, Actually, I'll slow down a little bit here and let you guys turn there. But go, so this word vigilance, right? It means to be watchful, to be alert, to be um, paying attention, right? And we can easily, by the way, be distracted in this world, in the things of this world. And, and you know, we got the money system, the one world money system happening. We got wars and rumors of wars. We got famines and pestilence. We got disease. We got, you know, Jesus spoke of all these things. We got the earthquakes, right? Matthew chapter 24. We got all of it happening right now. And it's so easy to get our eyes off of Jesus. And and uh, so look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 5. It says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be watch, let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of the hope of salvation, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So what are we to do? We're to watch. We're to be alert. We're to pray, right? And don't get distracted by getting your eyes off of Jesus. In fact, you could get distracted by looking at the signs. Don't look at the signs, but look at where the signs are pointing. Look to Jesus. Amen? Sometimes we could get caught up and be like, this is happening, this is happening. And, and then you look at their face and they're panicking and they're all like, they're full of worry and doubt. And you're like, dude, we just read Matthew 6. Don't worry, right? Jesus is in control. When you see these things happening, just know that God is in complete control. He warned us ahead of time exactly what of what he's doing. And so if anything, rejoice because we're out of here, right? We're, we're gone. We're with the Lord. But let's, let's, uh, um, so yeah, just, just keep that in mind. Number three, it involves resistance. Notice in verse nine, go back to first Peter. It says, resist him 
right? Speaking of Satan, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Um, this word resist is used 14 times in the New Testament, and it means to, basically it's a, um, it's a compound word. So means against and stand. So it's to stand against. And who are we to stand against according to the text right here in the context? The devil, right? So how do we resist the devil? How do we stand in opposition to the devil as believers in Christ Jesus? Well, there's three things that Peter gives us right here. Uh, number one, it involves the grace of God. The grace of God. In James chapter 4, verse 6 It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will, that's a, that's a a promise, right? He will, what? Flee from you. It's not like he'll walk away from you. He's going to go away crying and running, right? He's going to flee. That's what that means. So if you think you can fight Satan on your own, by the way, right? Some of my charismatic friends that I hang around with, they're like, no, 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 no. Don't pray or anything like that. Just, you got this, man. You're a believer in Christ. You speak to the devil. I was like, I don't want to talk to the devil, right? Why would you do that? So if you think that you can, you know, defeat the enemy on your own, you're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face. In fact, you're going to be terrified. And, And it's just a horrible time. Only by God's grace, biblically, right? I'm giving you guys scripture, by the way. Biblically, it's by God's grace that we can resist the devil. Zechariah 4, 6, I love it, right? It fits for everything. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We can't do anything in and of our own nature, especially coming against the enemy. And as we humble ourselves and we submit to the Lord, we receive God's grace right from from god to enable us to resist the devil and and we can stand against him secondly by the word of god as well and in uh notice here in verse 9 resist him steadfast knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world do you guys remember in matthew chapter um matthew chapter 9 jesus was what, he, was, he got tempted out there in the desert, right, by Satan. But what, three times Jesus used the word of God. He said, it is written, and then he quoted from scripture. And that's exactly what you and I ought to do. We ought to know the word of God. We ought to make time during our schedules, right, to, for the word of God. What's a priority in your life? Is it money? Is it, what is it, Right? Is it the word of God and does it show? Does your schedule, do you, can anybody see your schedule and see the word of God that is in there? My, my time with the Lord, right? Or whatever it is that you have. And, and really we need to evaluate our, our life and our, our, the things that we do and really put Christ as the center of our life. And that's by the word of God. Guys, we need God's word, right? We need to memorize God's word. What are you doing to memorize God's word every day? You know, we got to draw close to the Lord, knowing the time that we're in. Would all of you guys agree that we're in the end times? 
right? Then all the more, we need to push, push forward, guys. It's, we're not living 200 years ago. We're living now and that these are exciting times. And they truly, truly are. In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So when you know that you're going through spiritual warfare, turn to the word of God. Amen? You don't need to turn to any other book or any other channel or anything, right? It's through the word of God um, at that time. Third, we can stand against him by uh, our faith in God. It's by our faith in God, according to verse 9. And this is how we resist him. And, and you and I are not only... Uh, we're not the only ones who experiences this spiritual warfare as believers in Christ, right? Others that have faith in Christ are also experiencing. They're going through it as well. And notice, don't fall back on your faith, by the way. Fall back on the faith, right? The faith in Christ Jesus. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he is our faith. And who he allows us into his kingdom, right? Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made Jesus, right, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So it was Jesus who disarmed all principality and powers and authority in the sense there, uh, and the, the demonic authority, you can say. But we're, we're walking with the, the warrior of warriors, guys. We're walking with Jesus Christ. He is the conqueror, right? And if we're with him, we're victorious. He's victorious, right? And we're his. So this doesn't mean that the attacks are going to stop. In fact, the attacks might increase all the more. But uh, it does mean that we will stand with Christ. And he already won those battles. He's He's got it, right? You stand victorious when you're standing in Christ. But the moment you go off and say, Hey, Lord, I'm going to go help you. <laughs> I see an open door. I'm going to go take it over there. And you abandon your abiding in Christ at that time. You're in for it, right? So picture yourself, by the way, in the wild savannas of Africa. And and there is someone hunting you, right? The lion is just lurking in the tall grass and, and stalking your every step and waiting for that moment to catch you uh, to, when you're wandering off or you're, you know, you're off guard. And, and if we stray, if we put down our, our weapon, if we doze off in the sun, then he's gonna pounce, right? He knows your, your strengths and he knows your weaknesses in your life. And he doesn't attack when you're strong in the Lord. He doesn't attack when you're grounded in the Word of God. When you're, you're memorizing scripture, you're absorbed in the Word, your heart is just set on pleasing the Lord. He's there. When you're not in the word, right? He's, he's just waiting and he's like, hey, they're not in the word. Day one, day two, day three, day 67, day 68, right? And let's go for it! Attack mode! And he, that's, that's, he's a loser, right? Seriously. I mean, we, we have all the, the games and the, right? We battle those who are athletic and just as athletic as we are. But Satan, he, he battles those who are weak. In their faith in the Lord. He kicks those who are down, right? What a loser. Anyways, never forget, right? By the way, you are his prey. And, and this is why we must remain alert. We may, we've got to remain sober minded, right? And, and he, 
His one purpose is to destroy you and I. His purpose is to destroy your testimony, to destroy your hope, your holiness, your even your life, right? And and be aware of his tactics. Know the, the enemy, right? And uh, so that, that brings us to verse 10. Let's come to the results of spiritual warfare. The results of spiritual warfare, there's four of them for us here in Peter. Uh, number one, it's meant to perfect you. It's meant to perfect you. Notice in verse 10, it says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So there it all is up front. But number one, perfect, right? This word is used 13 times in the New Testament. Speaks of a broken net that is being joined back together or being made complete, you would say, right? So one reason for suffering is really it makes us complete. It, It makes us whole as believers in Christ, right? The refiner's fire. God allows you to go through suffering because he is defining you. He is creating you and making you and molding you and shaping you and designing you into the person that he wants you to be in. But guess what? You got a free will. So because of that, God wanted to do all of this in this little time gap, but because of your free will, because of your stubborn heart, and because of your own wicked ways, right? It's going to take this long. Right? And and for some people, they just don't want to humble themselves to the word of God and to what God is doing when it comes to suffering. And and I I'm with I'm with you on that, right? I'm like, "Lord, heal me, forgive me, get me out of here." And he's like, "Just why don't you pray to go through it, Josh?" And I'm like, "No." That's all right. I'll do it on my own, right? And I'll just hope that you get me out of here. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it, right? Then you finally humble yourself. Okay, let's do this. And so he'll bring you back through it. But um, so Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, really it makes you complete, right? And there's another verse that backs that up. But secondly, it is to establish you and I, right? So... uh it, the results of this spiritual warfare really helps to establish us. That word establish, it's a very interesting word, by the way, if you guys want to have fun studying these words. It's used 13 times in the New Testament. It means basically where we get the word steroids from, right? So uh, to make strong, to make firm, to strengthen. And don't get down when the enemy comes, right? Be strengthened is the idea here. It strengthens our faith in Christ Jesus. The enemy is like a roaring lion. He comes about to devour you. He sees you. He's seeking after you. But don't worry about it, guys. We got the grace of God. And because of that, he strengthens us. He enables us. And and that brings us to the third thing, right? It's kind of the same wording here. To strengthen you. It's a little different than this word. But uh, it's only used here in the New Testament, by the way, this word. means confirm firming or making sure of spiritual understanding. So we all get attacked from the enemy and we need we need this type of strengthening in our life since God is in complete control over the enemy. We need God's strength. And let's come to the fourth thing. It will settle you. Notice in verse 10 it will settle you. So this is used six times in the New Testament. It means to lay a foundation, right? So something very strong to build upon you basically to build upon and and all four of these words carry a similar meaning because they drive one simple point home that 
that his spiritual suffering is good. Amen. Amen. You guys, you still with me? Wake up, everybody. But spiritual suffering is good. It builds character. It builds our trust in the Lord Jesus. It, it gives us that reliance, that dependence back upon the Lord. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and uh, not only for our good, but also for God's glory. Uh, according to verse 11, notice in verse 11, it says, To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So when we humble ourselves, God grants us his grace, right? And his grace will, will do what? It'll enable us to be sober, to be vigilant, to be uh, resist the devil. And, and we come to the understanding uh, at that point, that Jesus Christ uh, will be glorified through this, right, in our lives. So Jesus Christ, by the way, he has the power over the enemy. And so why don't we live our lives knowing that God has complete control, complete dominion, right? He, he has the power over the spiritual realm. They run like little chickens, right? They, they, they jump off cliffs. They, they, they get as far as possible from the Lord. They don't want to be around him. And so if you believe this in your life, that, that God has his grace and God will enable you, he'll strengthen you, guess what? Your, your mind will not be on the attacks of the enemy, but your mind's going to be on, on God, right? It's going to be on his word. And the enemy is still going to be shooting, but guess what? It's going to be, bling, backing up, because you got the armor of God, right? The armor of God is basically putting on the Lord Jesus, right? You're, you're putting on, and that's the idea there of the armor. But notice, um, let's, let's come to verse 12 uh, to the end right here. Here's the salutation by Peter in verse 12. It says, By Silvanius, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, so does Mark, my son. uh, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. By the way, this guy, Silvanius, another name for him is Silas. And Silas, he traveled with Paul in his second missionary journey uh, in Acts chapter 15, 16, 17, 18. And he was locked up with Paul in in Philippi uh, in Acts chapter 16. And here we see Silas. He wrote with Peter. Uh, basically whatever Peter told him. And I think he put it in better grammar because I think of uh, Peter. I don't know, I'm just saying that. But I think of, I picture Peter as the fisherman. So I don't know, like his education or anything. But I kind of imagine maybe Peter's talking to him and maybe Silas here is writing this down and maybe he's fixing the grammar for him because that's what I do. I write stuff down and my wife's like, what does that even mean, right? And I'm like, can you fix that? And she's like, she's super good at grant. I'm from Arizona. Not to say Arizona's bad, but um, my schooling was very bad. And and out here in Wisconsin, right, everybody's very proper. Your, your schooling is very, very good. And I'm sure during the teachings, you guys probably got like 15 words on me where you're like, you said that wrong. But I picture Silas as that guy, right? He's very proper, and he knows his words. And, and so when I'm reading First Peter, it doesn't feel like some fisherman all of his life out there fishing, right? He can just write so powerfully and eloquently, I guess you could say. And But notice in verse 12, it says, 
that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. And in Romans, we just saw the same thing, right? It's by God's grace in which we stand. And, and, and we stand, we can't stand without God's grace. Amen? We need God's grace to stand before the Lord. It's God's grace that enables us to even to come before his throne boldly, right? To, to even t- commune, talk with the Lord about anything. And so, um, very interesting. Look at verse 13. She who is in Babylon, right? So, Babylon... It, some people believe, you know, this is in Iraq, that, that area. But Peter never really, well, we don't know in Scripture if he even went that far to Iraq. Uh, it could be uh, the Babylon near the um, uh, the Nile River. But we don't have any evidence of that either, that Peter went that far. And others say, well, it's symbolic of the Church of Rome, kind of like a code word, right, for the believers. And, and they understood this code word right here, Um I don't know. Interesting, interesting stuff there on, on Babylon. Uh, but notice it says, uh, and, and greet, so does Mark, my son. This is John Mark mentioned here, right? Here's, this is the same Mark that wrote the gospel of Mark. Uh, me and the kids are, we're going through the book of Mark right now. I love that book. Um, but this is the same Mark that he's speaking of right here. And it says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Right? And some of you guys, I don't really want to obey this part right here. <laughs> but in the Middle East, right, my last name is French, Bobian. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's like Bobio or Bobiabe, right? They do the hand thing too, and they say it, Bobio. But I think uh, they do the same thing, right? They're like, hey, how you doing? Right? And you're like, oh. My face always turns red. Some of you guys have done that here too. I'm like, oh. But it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's just not, you know, my, it's just, it's just interesting. But uh, that's what they, that's what they're talking about. So peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And, and amen, I would say as well. That's, this was a, this was a great, amazing time going through First Peter. I love it. Um, so let's let's go ahead and pray, guys. You guys want to stand with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word again, um, and how faithful you truly are, Lord. That you uh, you know exactly what you're doing in our lives, and and we do pray, Lord, that you would grant us your grace, Lord, that we might know you, that we might run after your ways, and and really truly. Keep our hearts and our desires, our passions, everything about us, Father. May we know you. May we uh, spend time, quality quality time with you, Lord. And and uh, just so that we might know you, Lord, and just be with you. Just to be in your presence is enough. And I, I pray, uh, Lord, if there's those here who have not been having that devotional time, Father, that uh, you would encourage all of us here, Lord, to spend more quality time with you. Uh, for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our, our neighborhoods, our schools, uh, our churches, Lord, that are out here. Um, Lord, this whole place, Lord, we, we need you. We need to depend fully upon you. And I pray that your word would just be, be everything to us, Father. Uh, so much so that it just, it just spills out of our mouth when we're talking to people. And so do, do a work within us, Lord. And I just thank you so much. Thank you again for, for Pastor Dwight, Lord, spending time in Arizona. And I pray again, Lord, that you would continue to bring him back safely. And, and just thank you so much for, for all the things that you're doing, Lord, here in the church. We, we love you and uh, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.